One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. It's take graphs, which means Major League Baseball one day off this week um, with some programming issues. But hey, you know Tennessee had to go nuclear last night and a big win against Auburn where John was like wow who's this Dolan Gannett guy John's like wow this guy is just he's a top 10 lottery pick this is I, why I tune into Tennessee basketball each and every week John I Miller, don't think I have the ability to watch Tennessee sports in New York you do it's on ESPN too it was on ESPN okay. too last night well you... I, I well I don't have cable so okay that. that that's a problem yeah but good for Tennessee I, I suppose I was gonna say what do you say programming difficulties you mean that you literally had to watch mm-hmm. tennessee basketball that, that's what it was right tennessee you're not oh, 100%, you're, yeah i had to do you're that. not watching then, like john's tennessee like baseball john's not a night owl training. anymore john's not gonna be up here we're we're not doing the late night owl oh no 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 I'm, I'm like asleep by 10 p.m now I, I are you really i have washed as hell in that regard it's it's over good to know it's, i didn't know if it was a one night thing that john was like no i can't oh no john's like asleep asleep yeah i that that early bedtime it, it feels good 10 p.m. Yeah. Goodness gracious. I, I know. Th- there's just no way. Like, I don't even see it. Pen- like, it's hard for me to force myself to go to sleep at like 1231. Like, it's yeah. hard. My, I, which I, I get that. That's that's fair. It's annoying, though. My internal clock's always 
uh, steered more towards uh, the night owl stuff. Uh, yeah, and, and and so is mine. But my my girlfriend in particular likes to get to bed early, so mm-hmm. um, I, I've adjusted to her routine. I, I gotta say, like especially I'm gonna now, cut all this, John, because if my wife listens to the last minute here, she's gonna make. See, John does it. Why can't you adjust to like? Uh, the, this is bad for me. I'm just making this more difficult for you is what you're saying. I, I appreciate all of this. I didn't know that we were going to go down this road, but you're like, yeah, my girlfriend needed me to adjust. So now we go to bed together. And well, we I, get to- I, I also would have needed to adjust because now my job, you know, I have to be at my office by, by, by nine. So, you know, I got to yeah. get up by, you know, I got to be out the door by eight, which means I'm getting up at seven. So like, you know, the days of me staying up till two, three in the morning, that, that just cannot fly anymore. I, I just nine hours though. You're getting some sleep sleep. I'm, I look, I'm getting quality sleep. Like I'm getting, and look, I, I'm enjoying it, too, because there, there's just a lot to be said about getting as much sleep as is essentially possible. You know, they're 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 really I, I can't say enough good words about it. Get John's that sleep. very pro sleep. I'm a, this is a pro sleep podcast, I suppose. I, I'm mm-hmm. a pro sleep guest. Yes. Pro sleep podcast, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Pro sleep. Speaking of pro sleep, uh, the MLB offseason uh was good for pro sleepers because it was a sleepy one john i see what you did there see that it was a sleepy one i see what you did there and it's wrapping up a little bit because the cubs finally just went ahead and signed cody bellinger john taylor yeah and on the one hand like they kind of had to but on the other hand they did seem to work this pretty well and by work this i mean take advantage of the fact that no other team wanted to pay cody bellinger Mm. and I, I can understand why, because, you know, I, I think Bellinger, when you were looking at this year's group of, of premier free agents, you know, on, I think there were two guys who rightfully were probably considered the riskiest bets of the top of the class. Blake Snell on the pitching side, Cody Bellinger on the hitting side. And not just because with Scott Boris as an agent, they were obviously going to demand top dollar and be willing to wait for the best offer for them, but also because of the underlying stats and performance. In Bellinger's case in particular, uh, I think a lot of focus has been put on his quality of contact. You know, obviously he had a fantastic season last year um, with the Cubs. You know, it really did look like a bounce back campaign from those rough years and and last year's in Los Angeles. But then when you look at his contact stats in particular, his average exit velocity, his barrel rate and his hard hit rate, all three of them 27th percentile or worse. He was 10th percentile in hard hit rate. Um, obviously that didn't have a particularly huge impact on his numbers overall. But I have to imagine that part of the thing, if you're a team that's interested in Bellinger is, you know, he is so reliant on kind of optimal or optimized contact that it's kind of maybe not easy to see, but it's understandable to see or to to think that, Hey, this, this could go very poorly, you know, especially if this is someone who is going to be out here and based on the, the salary pulled down from the Cubs, which is, it's basically a, a, a I guess what a three-year deal with opt-outs after years one and two um, at $30 million a year. You know, you you have to imagine that Scott Boris had set the floor for a long-term deal at five one fifty or something like that. And that's, that's a fair amount of change for a guy who, you know, that his WRC plus figures, the two years before last year were 83 and 47, you know, in 2021, Cody Bellinger was arguably the worst regular player in major league baseball. In 2022, he wasn't that much better. I mean, uh, his defense was the only thing that kept him uh, above replacement level, and that topped out at 1.8 wins. You know, last season, obviously, I think is is much closer to the kind of ceiling you can expect. And there were definitely good things you can see in his performance. He cut the strikeout rate in half. He isolated power, jumped back up. 
Um, but I, I do think that for a lot of teams, there is probably that worry of, you know, looking under the hood at the way he got his numbers, at the way he accumulated them. The strikeout rate is great. But the concern, I think, has to be, well, what happens if the numbers start to match the quality of contact more than anything else, you know? I think for the Cubs, it, it makes sense to bring Bellinger back, obviously, um, especially in such a tight division as the NL Central. It's essentially a deal where, you know, if he has another great year, I assume he will opt out again. Um, it makes sense for for Boris to structure the deal that way so that now if he has a second great season, he can turn to teams and go, look, did it again, only 29 years old, plenty of, you know, plenty of uh, safety here now, but it's... You know, it, 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 I I do think at the end of the day, it's still a little strange that nobody wanted to beat this deal, essentially, which it essentially amounts to a one-year $30 million deal. Yeah. And Do you think it, they all just collectively assumed the Cubs would do it, so they just didn't jump into it because they just thought it would be a Cubs thing? I don't know. And, and I think maybe some part of this, too, is that, you know, for as much as Bellinger was the best outfield bat available... Um, Maybe there was just a, a a reality of there weren't necessarily spots available for him among contending teams. I think the Yankees would have been right in there, but they very quickly decided that Juan's, that trading for Juan Soto and and the one year on his deal was was preferable to trying to get something out of Bellinger. Um, the Dodgers obviously were not going to be interested. The Astros are pretty well set outfield wise. Atlanta, I don't think was ever going to be a realistic op- uh, option. Philadelphia as well is well set outfield wise. I think if there's one team I'm really kind of confused why they weren't in on this in particular, it's Toronto. Uh, hmm. But we've been saying that, I think, about every major free agent so far, that the Blue Jays just seem allergic to to landing that one big star I think they could really use. Um, and they also pretty clearly pivoted. They decided they'd rather take the much cheaper uh, short-term option in Kevin Kiermeyer in center field as opposed to uh, as opposed to trying to figure out you know something with Bellinger. And they just would rather run with a Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermeyer, George Springer outfield. But I don't know, maybe maybe the, the landscape among contenders was just, you know, we don't feel comfortable spending the money that Cody Bellinger would want or that, that Scott Boris would be looking for when we don't necessarily need that upgrade there. I mean, I guess you could also argue, well, you can park him at first base instead, but uh, I think most contenders are pretty well set there as well. So, you know, I obviously, it, like I said, it worked out great for the Cubs. They get Bellinger back. He's a huge addition to that lineup. He makes that team better. It's, you know, obviously in the in the very narrow environs of the NL central, every win counts so much more. And I think this pretty well puts the Cubs right there with St. Louis and Milwaukee in terms of, you know, the real contenders in the division, but it, it has to be, it, it has to be a bummer for, for Cody Bellinger to, to end up basically back in this place of I'm on yet another one year prove it deal uh, of sorts. Yeah. I just wonder if that's just going to be the case until it's over for Cody Bellinger, right? Like I just maybe this all of Major League Baseball has just collectively decided he's a one year at a time guy. Yeah. And I think again too, like you look at the projections for Bellinger, I think you know, teams obviously also have their own projections as well. I do think the fear had to be, yeah, he had a great year last year. What about the two years before that? You know, yeah. what are is this, you know, and those projections, you know, they're not going to put all the weight on those two years, but they have to include those two years. And so I imagine a lot of teams when they ran Bellinger through their systems were going this doesn't feel like a guy we want to give $150 million to, you know? Um, but I think if you're the Cubs, again, it, if it's just $30 million for the year, you see how it goes. If he plays well, you know, he'll probably walk again. But, um, you know, it, 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 does conf- it does confuse me a little that there wasn't another contender, particularly, I think, 
Toronto, and also I, I guess the Giants, although they they moved on to Jung, uh, to Jung Ho Lee pretty quickly themselves, that wasn't more interested in signing him. Hey, we'll see what happens. But I mean, by and large, in terms of the fit and like now that this is it for the Cubs, right? Do we assume they're doing anything else? Yeah, I know that. I think that's it. I, I could see maybe if Jordan Montgomery falls to the right price for them, they might be interested. But I, I, I have to imagine this. Well, I think the it. Red Sox are one good meeting away from getting that Jordan Montgomery. Look, all they need is down. one more Zoom call with, with Scott Boris and they'll get this thing locked right down. <laughs> um, yeah, I, but no, I have to imagine this is probably it. Uh, for the Cubs, you know, this was really, you know, you, you look at what their depth charts are now. Um, you know, Bellinger obviously is going to take a lot of plate appearances at both first base, center field, and probably some in right field as well. Um, kind of help fill some holes. I mean, it's it, it, those at bats and plate appearances, obviously, mostly coming at the cost uh, of Mike Talkman, which I think is probably a plus, and also at the co- at the expense of Pete Armstrong, Pete Pro Armstrong, rather was a great defensive center fielder but clear nowhere near the hitter bellinger is so i think on the on the whole it, it, it's pure benefit for the cubs i think at least at this point uh roster wise for them absolutely um well so there was another move a much quieter move but still um bounce back potential i i think there tim anderson to the fish john mm. taylor do you see yeah. bounce back potential here or do you think this is just mm, i don't know is there some jorge soler optimism uh in miami with this i i I can imagine there probably is i mean it it seems clear that anderson played last season injured but part of the problem is and i I encourage everybody per usual go over to fangraphs check out um i believe it was esteban rivera who wrote about the tim anderson signing noting in particular that anderson is a guy who based on like and and some of this is a little not necessarily like uh overly statsy but Esteban is, is a guy who really loves uh, hitting mechanics, so he wrote an article, a very good piece, about uh, vertical bat angle and essentially uh, an attack angle, which is just bo- which is vertical bat angle is the the angle at which the bat goes through the strike zone. Attack angle, uh, or sorry, I'm going to take it straight from the article. Vertical bat angle is the angle of the barrel relative to the ground at the point of contact. Attack angle is the angle of the path the barrel is on at contact. Attack angle is an expression of the vertical direction the bat is moving in. Vertical bat angle is merely a snapshot at contact. So you want that barrel to be coming up uh, into the top of the strike zone so you can get the the ideal launch. Anderson is not a guy who really swings high like that. He is a guy who puts the ball on the ground a ton. In some ways, he reminds me a bit with different outcomes of the other of his double play partner now in Miami, Luis Arias. But Arias succeeds because he is an all he's just a contact master of the highest order, doesn't necessarily rely on uh speed and infield hits to get to get his uh, to get his essentially. Mm-hmm. Anderson, I don't know. I mean, again, some of this was obviously he was he's been dealing he, he dealt with injury last year. I can't imagine it was particularly fun being on that White Sox team as it just circled the drain. But I the 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 the, the under the hood numbers for Anderson, I don't they don't really suggest that there's that much bad luck that can be reversed necessarily or that there was good stuff happening that just we weren't seeing it play out. Um, it's I, I look, I, I think more likely than not, this is this is a guy. I think they're about equal odds that Anderson bounces back and that he or that he gets DFA by the first of July. You know, I, I what do you think I is just, more likely? 
that they gets DFA'd by the 1st of July. The error bars are just Ooh. really big on a guy like Anderson who doesn't hit for power, doesn't draw walks, and makes a lot of contact straight into the ground. That is not a recipe for success in today's Major League Baseball, uh, unless you are very, very fast. And yeah, you, you, that's the thing. Anderson basically has to be uh, a speed demon of the highest order to make that work. And as he's aged, particularly with all the soft tissue injuries he suffered in his legs and his body overall, that doesn't really seem like a profile that you want to bet on to hold up for a full 162-game season, particularly because, you know, you look at the Marlins' depth chart, there is not a whole lot behind Anderson if things, you know, start to go wrong. He is penciled in as a starting shortstop, which also really does not say great things about the Marlins that they, you know, they had to wait till the end of February to get their starting shortstop. Uh, you look at the guys behind him on the depth chart, it's, you know, it, it's John Birdie, a, a speed demon himself, Vidal Brujan, who's never really figured it out in Tampa Bay. Uh, and then further on down in the minors, if you're looking at shortstops, it's uh, def- glove first Jacob Amaya, a guy picked up from the Dodgers in a trade back in uh, last January. There's not really much behind him if this doesn't work out. So, you know, it, it's very much a Marlin signing. It's low cost with a with a pretty, you know, with, with a decent ceiling. But there's also a good amount of risk here that Anderson just is not the guy he was anymore. And the Marlins just have a hole at the position all season long because they decided to shop at the bottom of the market. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I am bearish, though, on Tim Anderson. I, I don't think there's really anything there unless he substantially changes his approach to the plate in a number of ways. And I, I, I kind of find that hard to imagine for a guy who, uh, you know, is at the stage he is as a player where, you know, he, he's gotten where he is based on what he's done in the past and what has worked. And I, I have a hard time seeing him change like that. Yeah, I, I hope for the best. Maybe going south, uh, Alabama kid, maybe it'll, it'll just be nice him getting down there and there might be a change of pace. And you, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see if it uh, works out um, in Miami. But hey, it's a worthy uh, try if you're the fish. Uh, um, goodbye, low candidate there. If yeah. you're Tim Anderson. Um, the Giants, we joke um, about guys who don't want to go to the San Francisco Giants. Um, there are many, apparently, who do not w- wish to become San Francisco Giants. And yet, more rumors this week that the Snell saga might end in San Francisco and Matt Chapman might end up in San Francisco. We see Brandon Crawford debuting in the St. Louis Cardinals garb and looks very natural in St. Louis Cardinals uh, uniform because he just looks like one. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but there are certain guys when they join the Cardinals, you're like, yeah, that checks out. Uh, that uh, that looks right. He fits right in. And then you look at where the Giants are and Blake Snell. Uh, reportedly, the Yankees have an offer out for Blake Snell. Maybe that's ultimately where he goes. But do you see Blake Snell and Matt Chapman both winding up in San Francisco when it's all said and done here? No, I I would guess that it's one or the other, and I I don't know. Like you, you talk about both. Like, would it be a bad idea to sure. find them? No, both? It, I think it would be a great idea. Both. I mean, you look particularly at their at their depth chart right now, pitching wise. They just had Keaton Win, or sorry, not Keaton Win. Uh, was it Keaton Win or Tristan Beck? Um, it was I believe Tristan Beck, who has now been diagnosed with an aneurysm in the upper part of his pitching arm. Which, uh, not a doctor, but I'm gonna guess that's not great. Um, you no. want to the word aneurysm usually does not portend good things. So yep. that's a guy who was already projected to be a pretty significant part um, 
of their rotation, or at least to be a guy who was going to get starts. When you look at the uh, uh, the Fangraphs depth charts, Beck was a guy who was, who was uh, by Fangraphs depth chart projections was was penciled in for uh, seventy innings out of the rotation um, and another fifteen out of the bullpen. So that's eighty five innings total. I'm guessing you could wipe the majority of those out. Uh, this is a little rotation already. That is Logan Webb. Logan Webb, I think, count but Kyle Harrison, a rookie who you know. Uh, did not look great in his uh, first crack at MLB and certainly don't know what you can expect from him. Number three starter, Jordan Hicks, a former reliever, a former starter turned reliever back to starter who I I don't really know what you can project from him either. Fangraphs depth charts has him at a hundred innings. Keaton Wynn, who is currently uh, dealing with an elbow injury. Alex Cobb won't be back till after the second half starts. Robbie Ray is coming back from Tommy John surgery. This is a really, really thin rotation. It could use a guy like Snell, who can give you at the minimum 150, 175 innings uh, of above average work. Um, similarly with third base right now, that the majority of that playing time is going to a combo of uh, JD Davis and Wilmer Flores, uh, you know, which is fine. I don't, I don't think you really like either of those guys starting there regularly. I mean, they're, they're projected as basically one to 1.5 war players. I think Matt Chapman would pretty easily uh, top that, but you know, I, I, this is a team, though, that's had an offseason that I I have not really understood if, you know, unless the whole point of it is we just don't particularly want to spend money. And that's what yeah. makes me think that neither Snell nor Chapman are realistic options. I think of the two, Chapman is probably more realistic because I can see him being more likely to take a one-year deal. Uh, I think Snell is probably going to hold out as long as possible to get his long-term money. But, you know, you look at where that team is salary-wise right now uh, in terms of 2024 payroll. They're about at 144 million projected total payroll through spot track at one fifth, basically 152 million. So on the one hand, they're very far below. Uh, although once you factor in competitive balance tax stuff, uh, they're getting close to. If you factor in active payroll plus estimated arbitration plus estimated pre-arbitration, you're getting to about 200 million dollars. So they've still got plenty of wiggle room to to before they hit a competitive balance tax uh, issue. But I also, again, this is a team that has shied away from spending this offseason for the most part and has just been playing the whole, we were also in on that guy game. Yeah. Uh, to but the sad part for them, them, though, is like, I genuinely do, like, you know how like there's some organizations, John, we hear, they're like, oh, they, we just missed them. We were in. Like, we were, we were really hoping to bring them in. Like, we know of those teams that, generally speaking, are more apt to throw that out there to their fans. And the fans and us in the media have a good instinct of like, I don't think so. The Giants, though, I think genuinely are in on these guys and genuinely would like to sign these guys. I think the Giants are like one of those lone exceptions when you read that they're really in on so-and-so or they would really like to have so-and-so. I think that's actually true. I actually buy the Giants when they're deep into these discussions and actually want to sign all these people. I think the Giants want to be a top five spender in the sport. That's my that's my read. I, don't, I think the Giants would like to be a top team in the sport. I think they'd like to do it without spending money. And granted, that's true of every mm-hmm. team. But I think teams like the Giants and the Red Sox in particular have they're they're trying to eat their cake and ha- and ha- have their cake and eat it too. They want to be a, they want to be considered a top team, but they don't want to make long term commitments. They don't want to spend. But they big did want to do it for Soto and Otani, right? Like they were it. Well, they but, were there. but that's the thing. It's really easy to say that they they wanted to do that. Same with Judge. Same with you judge know, every too, other yeah. major free agent. That's like it's and and like granted, we did see the the potential contract that Judge would have gotten, and it was a big one. But at the same time, it's much, much easier to say, oh, we, we, you know, we were in on that guy, too, and we wanted to offer him a lot of money. But at the end of the day, you didn't get it. So you didn't offer enough. 
And I think that's constant. Correa thing too, right? Giant. Weren't they really in on Correa? Well, the Korean thing was was he was supposed to be a giant, and then it got derailed by right. uh, the the weird ankle heel issue. That well, that's what I'm saying. So they're right there too. Thing. So I mean, they've been in on all these big. I don't know. I just feel like they would love to have an expensive winner that challenges the Dodgers year in year out. I I think they would too, but I don't think they're willing to go the go to what the financial uh de- go go to the depths necessary in order to make that happen. Because mm. you can you can only finish runner up or third place or whatever it is for these guys so many times before it just becomes an issue of okay, but then you're not willing to pony up the difference. Yeah, you know, I I can understand. Fine, Aaron Judge wanted to go back to New York. Okay, fine. What are you going to do about that? Otani always wanted to be in LA. Okay, fine. You can't really do anything about that. But at the same time, like there is there just seems to be a reluctance to to commit enough money to get them over the finish line. And it'd be very funny if the guy they eventually do that for is Snell, probably the riskiest of all the guys they could do this for. But there is a real, real need. I think more than there is for Chapman. Like that rotation is not a good one right now. Um, and it's only getting worse with, with injuries and, and other issues. Like, again, there is not a lot of room for them to lose more starters at this point. Already, the fact that they're down back uh, is really not good. And, you know, it, it, it just kind of it makes me wonder that what is kind of the goal in San Francisco this offseason? Is it just to run out a 500 level team, hope for some development and kind of see if they can get a little lucky? That's not a very particularly that, I don't think that's either a good path to success. I don't think it's a good path to success, either in terms of making the playoffs or in building for the future. You're just kind of in this weird nebulous middle ground of, you know, pseudo contention. And I, I don't really think that benefits what the Giants are trying to do, especially when you keep in mind, like you said. You know, the Dodgers are in this division, too. It's not going to be enough just to be a 500-ish team. You, you've already kissed any hopes of the division away, especially when you yeah. consider you've got the defending and National League champs and the Diamondbacks there, too, and a Padres team that, you know, even though they've also taken a step back financially, still, I think, is on a probably similar talent level to where the Giants are right now. I think there's probably better odds this team finishes fourth than they do any in the division than anywhere close to a postseason spot. And if you're a Giants fan, that's got to be really frustrating to feel like, you know, this this ownership group is not really trying to put a cons- uh, uh, a quality team on the field or at least a quality enough team that they've just kind of accepted. Well, the division's out of reach. Maybe we can get a wild card. But if not, who really cares? Come to the ballpark anyway. That's not a winning message, to, I think, to give to fans. And I think you run the real risk of people just starting to tune out and, and just putting their energy and their attention elsewhere which is only going to compound the problems for the Giants if they're, you know, if the the fan base starts, you know, turning its back on them. Ooh, go Giants, man. What a tough mm-hmm. time. I just feel like they cannot escape this. It's every offseason, but maybe they do. Like, so let's thing, just like, operate on the assumption they do sign Chapman and Snell. Can sure. They, what, can, what, what does that put them at in terms of where they can go this year? I think it probably raises. I mean, you look at their playoff odds right now on Fangraphs. Uh, I'm just taking a quick look at that. We have the or we. I'm going to do that forever. Uh, the Giants are projected to go eighty, basically eighty-one and eighty-one. The thirty percent chance of making the playoffs. I'd say Snell and Chapman is probably a three or four win bump. Yeah. You're talking more of like an eighty-four, eighty-five win team that puts them right there with Arizona and more realistically into the into the wild card conversation. But it's again, we've talked about this. It's going to be a tight wild card. You've got, yeah, assuming that that Atlanta and, and the Dodgers hang on to, or, or you know, they're the overwhelming division favorites. And I think, barring injury, they're going to be the guy, the ones who I mean, take those. I think divisions. it's like barring multiple injuries. I think it's like yeah. barring like cat, like just they're barring not like allowed the to play in like the, the month of whole, January. Yeah, the whole Braves lineup just like disappears off the face yeah. of the earth. 
you've got in terms of teams in the NL wildcard conversation, you've got the Phillies projected at 85 wins, the Marlins at 81 wins, the Mets at 81 wins. Uh, half the or the entirety of the NL Central is projected between 84 and 78 wins. Um, I, I think we can pretty comfortably write the Pirates out, but three out of three out of the Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, and Reds will probably be in that wild card. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Conversation. Then you add the Diamondbacks and maybe even potentially the Padres. That's a lot of teams already in the way for three spots. Um, even at eight, I think 85 wins puts the Giants much further ahead of the pack. But that's still obviously nowhere near the Dodgers unless a lot of things go wrong in, in L.A. and a lot of things go right in San Francisco. I, I have to imagine, too, that probably is driving some of the thinking there is if all this really does is improve our playoff odds from like 31 percent to like, let's say, 50 percent. Is that worth the econ- the financial hit we're going to take having to pay Blake Snell one hundred fifty million dollars for the next five years or whatever it happens to be? You know, only say only Giants own only the Giants front office and ownership can answer that. But I think what you've seen through that offseason is that the Giants at least are projecting the the belief that, no, that's not worth it, that it's not worth making a big long-term commitment if all it does is raise your ceiling from maybe a wild-card contender to just straight up a wild-card contender. I, I ultimately, I guess, for, for whatever reason, they ultimately feel like that's not worth it. I would argue against that. I mean, look at the Diamondbacks. They were a wild-card team last year, and they made it all the way to the World Series. The Phillies the year before that, obviously. You know, there there is a viable path to the World Series. All you have to do is get in, you know, um, I think, which is probably makes it all the more frustrating for Giants fans. The feeling is just get in and let's see what happens, especially if you're going to go into the postseason with Logan Webb and Blake Snell as your top two starters. That's pretty good. But I don't know. I, I think, you know, there, there definitely seems to be an, a, an allergy or an aversion in San Francisco to making the kind of big long term commitments necessary for this team to be an actual contender. And you know, I, I think the blame for that can really only go on ownership right now. Absolutely. Um, John, final thing before we do uh, some projections here as we get uh, ready for the start of the new MLB season, which will be here before you know it, sir. Um, we did best closer in the NL two weeks ago before uh, last week's uh, week off. This week, AL best closer. Who do you have uh, at this point? Who do you think will be the best closer in the American League this year, sir? That is, that's a tough one. Um, hmm. I think there, uh, there are a few guys who just popped to mind immediately. I think Emmanuel Clace uh, in Cleveland is always going to be part of that conversation. Josh Hader, now that he's in Houston. That's going to uh, take I think some time getting used to. Yeah, I, I, I had forgotten before I even brought it up just now. 
Um, I really, <clears throat> excuse me, I really like Jordan Romano in Toronto. Uh, he's coming off two very good seasons. Clay Holmes, when he's right, uh, is just borderline impossible to square up. It's Zach Britton from the right side, more or less. 99 mile an hour sinkers. So good luck with that. Um, and I think uh, in terms of, and probably the guy with the absolute just most mind-bending stuff of any closer in baseball, Joanne Duran in in, in Minnesota. I, I think in my mind, it's probably it's probably a three-way tie between Clay Duran and Hader. Maybe give the nod to Duran just because that's that stuff is is absolutely absurd. There's a hundred mile an hour fastball and a ninety-eight mile an hour like splitter sinker. That, that, that's something out of a, an actual video game. You couldn't even. Do, I don't think you could even do that in a video game if you wanted to. So my vote would probably be one of those three guys with. Uh, Romano probably is the as the dark horse, probably the the yeah the dark horse bet to be the best of all of them. Like if you were to you know if if you were to say who who do you think you can make the the tidiest profit on gambling wise or whatever? I'm clearly not a gambling guy. Um, I think Romano would give you good odds with a pretty good with, with pretty good chance of being the guy. But for now, yeah, Clay's hater or Duran. I think those would be my three. I like it. Um, final thing here, um, as we get into our projections portion of the program, I thought it'd be fun to do the AL East and the NL East, sir. AL East and Pakoda, we could do fan graphs as well. I think the most surprising in terms of, and let's start with the AL East here first, is that Toronto, 88 and 73 projection, 47% mm-hmm. chance of at least making the wild card. And then you look down the list here, Baltimore at 86. So only a couple of games separating Toronto, Tampa, and Baltimore with New York, uh, the rounding, uh, resounding uh, favorite in the ALEs with 94 wins. Um, does Fangraphs have the same roughly, or is this a weird Pakota thing that doesn't like Baltimore right now? I mean, Fangraphs is, is lower on the Blue Jays and on the Orioles and higher on, uh, or actually a little lower on well, here's the thing. Fangraphs has the entire AL East finish. It's got Yankees, Rays, Orioles, Blue Jays, Red Sox. The Yankees at 88 wins. The Rays at 86. The Orioles at 84. The Blue Jays at 83. And the Red Sox at 79, um, which is a little less. I, I think a lot of it is Dakota's giving a lot more weight um, to to the Yankees. I, I couldn't say why. You know, I I you know haven't. I don't uh, necessarily know what Dakota stuffs into its into its calculations to come up with what it does. Um, the Orioles are just, I think, perpetually a team that projection systems don't really like for mm. whatever reason. And for a, for a fuller uh, discourse on that, I recommend people, and this it's an article from way, way, way back, um, I think in the middle of uh, January, I'm trying to find it now on Fangraphs, of why the projection systems just do not really like the Orioles. Uh, for, for whatever reason, I believe it was Ben Clemens. Like I said, I'm trying to find it now. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, you know, we, we, they never, again, the projections never really like them, but for the most part, it's, it's, it's interesting that both projection systems agree on the Yankees, which I, I think I probably do too. Just the, the, the top level talent on that team is just so high. Um, I think the big, obviously X factor there is Carlos Rodon. If he's healthy and productive, I think that makes New York all the stronger, but you know, I, I think regardless, both the, both projection systems clearly agree that the AL East is going to be a dogfight all the way through. Um, are you optimistic that the Jays are good? Are we sure the Jays are just going to be right there uh, with the 
I mean, because the Rays, uh, just the Rays are going to be there. Like, whatever, it doesn't matter. The Rays are going to be there. But do you think that the Blue Jays are actually going to be pushing for that second place and one of the best teams in the AL? I think they can. Um, I think they need better offensive performance. And ideally, I mean, like, and speaking of X factors there, I think Alec Manoa is one of them. They need him to be not the worst pitcher in baseball would be ideal. Anything above that would be great. Getting it out um, in the spring, John. He's, yeah, he's, he's plunking guys now to get ahead of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you look at the, the depth chart for Toronto in the rotation, um, you know, beyond Manoa, there, there, there's not really another guy they can easily plug in there for the fifth starter role if things don't work out. You know, they've got Yariel Rodriguez, Cuban free agent they signed who had been pitching an NPB. I'm not sure what the plan there is, rotation or bullpen. Beyond that, it's guys like Bowden Francis and Wes Parsons and Paolo Espino, where I, I, I don't get the sense that those are guys they would feel comfortable throwing into the rotation right now. Similarly, I don't think that the plan right now is Ricky Tiedemann uh, right from the get-go. I think that's a guy they would much rather have, you know, throw in AAA, get some innings down there, and then ideally bring him up maybe at midseason if need be. But um, I think rotation depth will be an issue in Toronto if Manoa's not right. I think uh, the lineup itself, in particular on the left side of the infield, where uh, third base right now is in the hands of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and that's just not a good situation. Where second base is a combo of Sania of uh, sorry of Kavan Biggio and Davis Schneider, and maybe Santiago Espinal. Again, this is not a situation you really want to find yourself in, where you're relying on those guys to to handle a large part of the. To really to do a lot of lifting on the, on the on, in the infield i think you know I, I think toronto's a team that makes sense if chapman is willing to take a one-year deal where a reunion there would probably make the most sense of anything so you know I, I think there's definitely lots of upside for toronto but i also think they haven't done a particularly good job building the depth necessary and the floor necessary to survive down production from any of their stars or from any of their starters final thing on the al east are we are you more confident the Yankees are the best team in the AL East or more confident the Red Sox finish last in the AL East? Far more confident that the Red Sox finish last. <laughs> um, they are by far the weakest team in terms of talent and personnel in the AL East. The pitching staff is bad. Uh, the bullpen is not very good. The lineup is really only half finished. Um, there aren't really any minor league reinforcements ready to come up who I think are capable of making any kind of substantial difference. You know, I, I think the the... the the ceiling for that team is probably 500. And I think more likely than not, it's somewhere in the high seventies. win total. I think it's going to be another repeat of the last two years in Boston, another team like the giants where they just kind of seem to be running in place because of this unwillingness to take on long-term deals and to, you know, take on the risk of free agents. You know, they seem much more willing to to just kind of uh, Peter away their time uh, or fritter away their time rather just, cycling through cheap one and two year deals for mid-tier free agents and hoping that everything somehow comes together that way. But it's, it's awfully hard to contend that way. It's awfully hard to build a winning roster that way. You know, you're, you're just setting yourself up for a kind of middle of the road performance. So, and I think all four teams ahead in the division are just flat out better in, in, in every capacity. So, you know, I, 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 the thing is, I can see, I, obviously, Baltimore won the division last year. It's easy to see Baltimore winning the division again this year. Tampa Bay is always a threat. Uh, the Rays and Blue Jays, or sorry, I already, I already said the, or I already said the Rays. The Blue Jays, um, and, uh, or the Blue Jays, obviously, if, if everything works out for them, top-level talent-wise, that's a 90-plus win team. I don't think there's any realistic way this Red Sox team gets to 90-plus wins, barring 
a significant uh, addition of talent, not just now at this point in the offseason, but also in the course of the season, uh, maybe at the trade deadline. So, yeah, I, I bet everything you got that the Red Sox finished last in the AL East, unless something goes terribly wrong somewhere in like, I think the only team that could really challenge them is is if things go really wrong in Toronto or if Tampa Bay somehow forgets how to utilize depth the way that Tampa Bay is always good at it. Tampa Bay, I would just, if there's one stay away, it's like Tampa Bay being last in the division. Like anyone who's just preparing for the Tampa downfall, like you're just throwing money away. I, would I mean, stay I, away. I think there's a higher chance of the Yankees finishing last than there is of the Red Sox finishing first. Oh, yeah. I, I, would, I would I would say, agree with that. It's, and it's also not that hard to. I mean, imagine. we just saw it last year. We did. It was, all it took was Aaron Judge misses half the season, and granted, and they're still top have, heavy. Like it's not like they're not top heavy. It's just they have more electric talent at the top. They do. Turns out adding Juan Soto is just a good idea. Yeah. Uh, if you can add Juan Soto to your roster, you should I'm excited be. for the Yankees like mid June game where we're like, uh, well, you'll be asleep, John. Now that I know your bedtime, but like a late June game here for the Yankees, and it's like they're in the tenth again because they were up seven to two, and they're, I mean, just the offense is just having to win eleven to ten more often than not, and they're just yeah. this dogfight over and over again, even though they're well, winning they're, a lot I mean, of these I, games. I, I think similarly with Toronto, there there probably is there has to be a concern in New York. Is like, do they have enough rotation depth to survive uh, either Rodon struggling or an injury to Garrett Cole or Nestor Cortez struggling again, like? You know, they're definitely. I think they can't handle. No, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Like a Garrett Cole injury is not something that, like, oh, you know, if only we still had Drew Thorpe or Michael King, that that doesn't, that's not really going to make a difference. No, but I think that's why you signed Blake Snell, right? And you hope for last year's Blake Snell. I I think that's why the Yankees remain interested, but I can only see Snell going there if it's like a one or two year deal or something. I can't see them adding a third pitcher on a long term contract unless they are one hundred percent confident that Garrett Cole is going to opt out. After this season, which he has four years and 144 million left after this year, I have a really hard time seeing him decide that he's somehow going to make more on the open market at 34 years old. I think a lot of the pressure for there, because, you know, I I think you you feel pretty confident about Marcus Stroman. And if Rodon is healthy, then you feel good about him. All the pressure kind of falls on Clark Schmidt and Nestor Cortez, you know, to be better. You don't think there's any pressure on Rodon? I I think there's plenty of pressure on Rodon. I just think the ceiling is far higher for him than it is for Schmidt and Cortez. And I think mm. by that, by that, he's less of a worry for the Yankees in that regard. Whereas it's really easy to see uh, a season where Schmidt goes into the All Star break when the ERA around five, and the Yankees looking around and going, "Well, we don't really have a guy we can bump up right now." You know, no. It, it, it in in turn that just further down the chain puts the pressure on a guy like Yoandres Gomez or Will Warren or or, or Luis Gill to be you know a potential or, or to to be better. And I. Anyway, I, I, the Yankees lost a lot of starting pitching depth when they acquired Soto. And I think it was worth it because again, they got Juan Soto, but it does leave them a bit vulnerable in that place, particularly when you consider how many injury and performance issues their rotation had last year. They can't afford that again this year. No, they cannot. Um, John Taylor, final thing here on the NLE side. Uh, you're not going to believe this. I think the Braves are going to be really good. I think they're going to win. Probably around 100 games. Maybe I, more I, I would love to see if there's anyone out there brave enough uh-huh, to pick anyone other than Atlanta to win the NLEs. I don't think there's any point. You know, that that's a 100-win team again, I think. They're, they're so loaded, top to bottom. It's frightening. They're just really good. I mean, Giles out here after like four years of nothing. Maybe he's good. Like, that's 
hey, Who knows? that's some spring optimism right there. I don't I don't know. I do think it's interesting. Uh, Bowman did his uh, projections for who makes the team and Luke Williams making the team as a utility guy. I thought was interesting. Fletcher being a triple A guy starting because I thought I just penciled him in that he would be. Um, no, I, I, roster. I just think the ceiling is so low with a guy like David Fletcher. Like hmm. if he doesn't hit, he's. Excuse me, if he doesn't hit, he's he's more or less worthless. Well, he also had Reynaldo Lopez as the fifth starter, not Bryce Elder, which is fascinating. I mean, Bryce yeah, Elder was and, an all star last year, and well, that's how funny. deep they are is he's not going to start. Yeah. And I think I mean, look, these are these are the problems that a super team has is who is going to be our utility infielder? Is our is the fifth starter going to be the guy who yeah. was an all star or a very oh, good is Marcelo Zuna going to hit 40 home runs? Yeah, again, it's like no? None of none of this matters barring injury, you mm. know, and and I think that's kind of the key for the Braves. As long as everyone stays healthy, this is the best team in baseball. I think it's either them or the Dodgers. and I probably lean toward Atlanta. So. Um, I, I think the bigger question for the NL East besides, you know, Atlanta being the best team, and I think the Phillies feel pretty stable too, is, you know, is there going to be any any kind of contention out of either the Marlins or the Mets? I think the other, the third guarantee in the NL East is the, is the Nationals going to finish dead last. That is just not I, I saw the 58 for Bakoto. What is it for Fangrass for them? Uh, the, the playoff odds projection for the Nationals. Is yeah, what's their win total though? Uh, 65 and 97 and 97. See, that feels more right to me because Pakota only likes 58 for them. I would, that, I mean, that's, the that's over. very They're low. Not gonna be that bad. But that, that's also another team with no depth to speak of and no farm system to, to make a difference. Unless someone like Robert Hassel goes absolutely bananas in the minor leagues. But yeah. I, I think the difference there too is regardless, 58, 65, like the Mets and Marlins feel like 500 teams. So it would take mm. an absolute, I, I mean, we almost saw it with the Mets last year. They almost finished last anyway. But that took a collapse that still no one can adequately or, or or fully describe to say nothing of a team that just stopped crying right around July. I think this Mets team is not built to contend necessarily, but I think they're built at least to be competent. Or I think they're least- built to be a wild card team. I think when people are just assuming it's a gap year with the Mets and you and I both think like they're doing a slight scale back. The problem is the rest of the NL stinks. So like, I well I, I think the problem with the Mets is they need another bat. I, I don't really get why get they're working bat. on Smolair. Not not at this point. The only bat left is Chapman and No, I'm saying trade. Oh. Like they have stuff to trade. Oh. They, eh, I, I mean yeah, we could I mean Logan I mean, sure we, or my man Drew Gilbert will be there before you know it here, John Taylor. Displacing local boy Harrison Bader. I, I just think there's too much volatility in that lineup. The only guys you really feel good about are Nimmo, Lindor, and Alonzo and to a certain degree, Jeff McNeil. Mar- Starling Marte looks like he's on his last legs. DJ Stewart is a platoon bat. Francisco Alvarez is still young. Brett Batty, uh, you know, I think is a Could very be really good though. guy. I, there's a lot of upside, particularly with Alvarez and Batty. I just, I don't really, that lineup just isn't deep enough. And then that be, and that doesn't even get into a, lo- a rotation that is a lot of NL Central vibes for this Mets rotation. Um, but would I'm, you, like, would you put the odds of over 50% of them getting a wild card spot? No, I, I'd say like hmm. uh, Fangraphs numbers have it. I think at like twenty percent, twenty eight percent, and I'd say that that's about right. I'd say one. So in who one. do you have in there then? Because I just don't as don't... as the three wild card teams. Yeah, you got Philadelphia. I have the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, and the second place team in the NL Central. I there's no way the Diamondbacks go back to back. I don't know why. I'm just I'm selling all the Diamondbacks stuff. I, well, I I think it's less about the Diamondbacks being great and more the teams behind them just not being very good. The Marlins, the so Mets, the three and I can't four quit the Padres, the John. I won't quit my man, A.J. Preller. Won't do it. 
about I, back I, here. Look, maybe and maybe this is better served as the take for next week, but I, I think it's pretty clear Preller is just not very good at this. Look, man, we've had a lot of a lot of history at this whoa, point. He does whoa. not know how to build an actual competently constructed contender. Well, hold on here, John Taylor. They we just moved Xander Bogarts. They just moved Xander Bogarts to second base a year after giving him three hundred million dollars. That's yeah. really bad. Like that, I cannot imagine when Preller and company were sitting down to discuss that deal that in their mind, they were like, yeah, in a year, we're going to move this guy to a lesser defensive position. Also, he's not going to hit as well. Like that, that, that's just the process does not seem to be very strong over there to say nothing of a farm system that has some real talent, but is not producing consistently right now to say nothing on top of that, of an ownership group that very clearly told Preller, all right, that's it. The money faucets off, like figure it out. You know, that, that, the Preller's had many, many shots to make this work. He has not been able to make this work. Some of that is the bad luck of being in the same division as the Dodgers. Some of it is just bad luck, period. But none of the roster is constructed with, I think, the possible exception of last year's team that really, really should have been better. Um, you can always look and go, there doesn't feel complete or it feels like there's just something wrong here. Again, I, I, I think it was the Bogarts moving to second that really kind of convinced me. It's like, oh, Preller's not very good at this. Or at the very least, he doesn't do seem to have... I, I can't believe you're turning on my doesn't NHA. Seem to have I can't believe the, you're doing this. He doesn't seem to have the contingency plans necessary for when things do go pear-shaped. Um, it just... And we've already seen it when he tried his immediate... When he, when he took over 10 years ago and tried his immediate contention bid by getting Justin Upton and Craig Kimbrell, and that just immediately went to crap. You know, I... Upton here, Upton there. Thank you. Um, it, it, it's just... It, it's confusing to me that this is, you know, that this is how that this is how the Padres have ended up. And I think it, it just does not suggest someone who is building a roster holistically, especially when you compare it to the way the Dodgers have built their team, the Rays build their team, the Astros, the Braves. You know, there's a very visible difference in what the best teams in the league look like and what the Padres look like. Again, this team was giving a lot of at bats to Rugnet Odor and Matt Batten and uh, jerks and far down the stretch that's just not something that should happen to a well-constructed team even if there are injuries you've got to be better than that well, that's why you Diego... bring back Juan Soto and you keep this thing you keep the train on the tracks John it oh hold on I mean, I'm it getting should, it word say... that Juan Soto is no longer on this roster <laughs> it should say a lot that Juan Soto was dealt not for a top prospect necessarily but just for a bunch of essentially a backfiller rotation because the Padres yeah. have been so bad at developing pitching so far yeah. like that's really a bad sign for AJ Preller like you should not get that li- not that little. He got plenty for Soto, but like it shouldn't necessarily be. We need to trade Juan Soto for a bunch of pitching. It should be we should trade Juan Soto for the best package we can get. Instead, it just feels like no, no, no. We have to do this because we just don't straight up don't have enough pitching. That's a failure on AJ Preller's part to develop that pitching and to acquire that pitching. And I think it points to what Preller's biggest failing as a Padres general manager has been is just filling out the roster beyond the expensive stars he likes to collect. You know, he, he seems to have an NBA GM mentality for the wrong sport. Um, you, you just cannot win. I don't, not that you cannot win, but I think it, it's pretty clear that the Preller style of roster construction is missing something. Um, and again, I, I think anytime you, you end up, anytime you end up with our $300 million shortstop is, is bad news. Now a second baseman, that's not good. That's a really bad sign for your process. Um, but Hey, look, I, Again, we've just we've we've got a lot of evidence at this point that Preller is not good at this. 
or at the very least, he's good at building. He's good at winning the winter. He does not seem to be very good at winning on the actual baseball field at this point. Brutal. John Taylor. Just brutal. I, look, I don't like it either. I'm just saying. He's just saying. Well, John Taylor, I'm just saying. I love that this was an NL East conversation, and that was two-thirds Padres. Yes, I was going to say, like, look, nobody cares about the NL East. The Braves are going to win the division. The Phillies are going to be a playoff team. The rest of the teams, you're going to watch, like, three innings of their games go, oh, enough of this, unless it's, like, Yuri Perez pitching, you know? What, give me a good reason if you're not a Mets fan to watch a Mets game this year. Um, BD might be good. Um, I think there like, might be. We're, we're done. We're like it, it's every Pete Alonso at bat to see Pete if he Alonso hits a ball at bats are fun. Feet. It's it's Francisco. It's watching Francisco Lindor, and when he's healthy, it's watching Kodai Senga starts and every Edwin Diaz save appearance. Or, I was going to say Edwin Diaz save stuff is going to be back. And I think he's just such a fun comeback of the great, year story. But I, that, that Mets team is just painfully dull. It, it just has, it, it has fourth place vibes all over it. Um, you know, the, the analyst is just not interesting anymore. I yeah. blame the Braves for that. I guess like when you build a super team that just does not slow down, like, and when, and I guess to a certain degree, blame the Phillies too. The Phillies would win the NL central by like, 15 games as it is they're just gonna have to settle for for being content with second place and probably the top wild card seed it sucks to go into the season being almost entirely confident that the braves are going to the division the phillies are going to have a playoff spot nothing else in the nl east is going to matter you know they might as well just sim to the end of the season Oof. Hey, I'm here for it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not simming anything, John. I'm going to... Well, look, well, I, might, I don't want to watch these uniforms. And shout out to the Royals, who we didn't talk about. Good for them, being the only team thus far to just we're, get we're ahead of this. To, what's the deal going to be with Strider wearing the home whites tight as he likes to wear them in a game? That's It's going to be tricky. I still think that more changes are coming. I don't think it's going to be... We're, we're going to be able to see the full imprint of Walker Bueller's ass cheeks, and I don't know that America's ready for that. I don't think that's what we're going to get to. I think it's just going to be one of those. And they're like, oh, it's just they're they're really. No, look, I mean, on this. you've already got the union coming out and basically saying we're not wearing this stuff. Like, yes, I, I think there'll be quietly be some face saving uh, decision before the season starts. Like you're saying of just like, OK, fine, we're going to go back to the old uniforms while we yes. take these back in the shop and figure them out for next season. Great there, job. There's all too much. There's too much at stake. I, I, per, I personally love MLB responding to the whole the pants are see through with. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they're the same pants from last year it, it it's entirely the brian colangelo it's an it's a normal collar find a new slant like it, it's so it is so typical for rob manfred uh as in his commissioner tenure for this to one to be a scandal and two for mlb's response to be no it's not just tone deaf all the way around but i i, I do think there'll be something figured out before the end of spring training because mlb cannot put a product on the field for games that matter where people are going to be like, I can see the outline of a guy's penis that that just can't happen. Oh yeah. hundred percent. We can't have balls visible on television. It's not going to happen. I'm not panicking about it. It's going to get fixed. Um, it's my guess, but we'll see. So. John Taylor, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. 
goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, Mm -hmm. you're um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.